Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. That's all you got, Terrence? That's it? Just morning, morning? <laughs> I did post the quote-unquote quote the definitive thread on FTX by Jason Choi that has um, quite a bit of traction, uh, over 5,480 likes and 1,880 retweets. Let's, can we nest that sucker? That. Sorry? Can we get it nested? Yeah, nested it. I read something this morning that stuck with me, <clears throat> got me thinking about why we do this show. Because we do this every day. Y'all know that. It's a lift. You may not realize that, but doing this every day, <clears throat> it's a lift. But anyway, I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but there's reasons, you know? Mean, okay, I'm going to read this tweet by Gigi. Mainstream bloggers that like to call themselves, quote, journalists do not have your best interest in mind. Their job is not to inform, but to shape the narrative for special interest groups while maximizing outrage and clicks. Feels right. And the difference between bloggers and mainstream media is... No, these are bloggers writing for mainstream media. Anyway, my point is, I feel like, well, I, and I think you guys all know this, the world is transitioning away, I think, from mainstream media to get to more independent sources of information and news about what's going on. I would agree 100%. I don't, I mean, I have the mainstream media on in the background, um, but I rarely am actually listening to it. There's only, there's only a few stories that I, and, and mainly the reason I listen to it, um, is because I'm typically trying to figure out what they're really saying because it's usually something between the lines, and it's good to get a um, to get a, a multiple perspective on things. But typically, the mainstream media is so far behind when it comes to reporting, and it has to do with this this ethos of we have to get 
the 30 second soundbite out now, regardless of whether it's accurate or not. And typically they just, they just throw something out there and they have no idea what they're fucking talking about. Either that or they're, they're just interested in putting a spin on it. Like, it's just like, there's two reasons. One is clicks and one is, and the other is narrative to me. I, I, it's questionable how much of it is even remotely accurate anymore. I think very little of it because you tip, certainly, certainly with the with the televised media, um, written media uh, certainly is is also subject to that, but it less so because it takes a little longer to get out. But I mean in. In televised media, you see them all the time saying, you know, after the fact, after the breaking news comes out, oh, well, this is what's really going on. And they never really say they're wrong or that the reporting was wrong, but they they don't. Um, they, they begin to to elicit on the uh, on the subject as they get information, which I wish they would hold back um, their opinion before uh, reporting on it. Does the New York Times, and you're, you're absolutely right, Peter, the New York Times puff piece on Sam, is this not, could this not be one of the best things that ever happened to destroying centralized media and just everything being good for Bitcoin? My, oh, my. Yeah, that, that puff piece was so syrupy. I mean, I could hardly even finish that thing without laughing and chuckling to myself, but I mean, they really took it easy on that guy. I was watching uh, Count BTC. I forget his name now, but he does stuff with uh, Bitcoin Magazine and his his YouTube channel. He only has a couple hundred subscribers, but he's one of the 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 coolest thinkers out there. He the the way he brings concepts in into the Bitcoin world is just unbelievable. And um, he went through, and I, th- I think he had taken someone else's stats. Someone did stats on that article, and like the number of times words were said, and it was like. Zero times fraud were mentioned, zero times, you know, scam, anything. It was just completely just dripping with like, hey, he's our money laundering guy. And the bit, you know, this is just an attack on all of you, you know, crypto people, Bitcoin, you know, state sponsored type of, um, you know, someone inside and on the inside writing that, obviously. It's really unbelievable. The scandal that's surrounding this is really unbelievable. If true, if true, is, is, Amazing, amazing. Is it though? Isn't it just standard fiat playbook? Isn't this just Morgan Stanley and and uh, Bank of America doing doing what they do only as FTX? Hundred percent. Yes. However, with the added bonus that they get that they get to use this to try to paint Bitcoin as a similar piece of shit as shit coins this is what takes well, me when off we well, yeah but you know what when you see that when you see the truth you can't you can't unsee it i mean and i i think that some of i you know there's been a lot of like like natalie burnell's interview was awesome i mean she just continuously just look said look you've got to separate these two things and i think that's what that's what i've been seeing when i've been seeing this coming up on on the media when somebody who knows what they're talking about gets on there. And there's been quite a few people who have and who do, 
um, they typically are like, look, you've got to separate these two. And there's no answer to that because they are different. There is no second best. And each time one of these events happens, as we all know, it's just you're, you're pecking away. It forces inevitably what, you know, 1%, 3% of people to then look into all this and actually become Bitcoiners. And then sure as shit, they're on these spaces with us in three weeks from now. That just happens over time. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to to watch. Like these are my first these are my first like full cycles as a as a bitcoiner. Like I've always watched it as a third party observer. But when you're in it and you're allocated to it. I mean, you pay more attention. At least I do. I I have paid more attention and thinking through all the ramifications of how this stuff is panning out. It's mind-blowing, man. You've got FT you've got Janet Yellen out there saying in the aftermath of the crypto exchange, FTX's fall from grace, the industry needs very careful regulation. And it shows the weakness of this entire sector. This is my first bear market, Alex. I mean, in, in, in Bitcoin. And, you know, I'm class of 2021 and I'm just loving it. I, I just think it's awesome. I mean, I'm still on a high from, from PB. Um, I come in here every day and, uh, I get to hear about, uh, the truth. Um, and I, I just think it's, I just think it's fucking awesome. I'm having the time of my life. Hey, um, I have a question. Good morning, guys. Um, will Sam ever see jail time? Um, what do you guys think? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, he was the largest donor, apparently. And I don't, I mean, this is what I've been reading. I don't know if this is BS or what, but this is what's out in articles right now. <clears throat> he was the largest, largest donor to the D's after Soros. Like $40 million towards midterms, I guess. So will he? I don't know. Isn't it isn't it pretty difficult to to prove fraud? I mean, you know that that's gonna. I mean, I guess if fraud has happened, then and it's and it's provable, then certainly something is going to happen to him. I don't know if it's going to be jail time, but I know that the way our court systems work and the way litigation is that um, it can be very difficult to to prove these things. I don't know if fraud is just a number or if fraud is intent in this case. And if fraud is intent, that is a really difficult thing to prove. I mean, they couldn't do it True. with Celsius. They haven't done it with Celsius. Now, now here's the thing, though. I, this is my personal opinion. I think I think the system's um, too far gone. I think we have to change it from the outside. We're at the point where we have to change it from the outside because I don't believe that we have a uh, legitimate justice system anymore. Just my opinion. I don't, I think the facts don't matter. I think there's two tiers going on here. There's the tier for the people in control and then there's the tier for everybody else. I think the only way to fix it at this point is from the outside. Couldn't agree more. Look at, again, not to get, uh, you know, too political, but, you know, at, at some point. It's not when, political. That's no, not political. No, but, 
when does the in what I'm going to say here, it, which is at what point does the iceberg flip when you're looking at? And again, I'm not some election analyst and knowing all the stats inside now. However, just from a layman's perspective, the average person watching what happened, even say in 2012, where you had Mitt Romney was in my eyes, a terrible uh, Republican candidate. However, he was drawing 20,000 person crowds and people forget that. And Obama was, was drawing very little crowds in comparison, yet you had him still pull out the, the victory. A similar type of result, almost a very close election in 2016. And then 2020, you had Biden you know, in his basement the entire time, no crowds. And then Trump, you know, 20, 30,000 person crowds. And then the same thing, like you look at ele- in 2022, you had that happen again with Kerry Lake, what just happened here. Massive crowds. The other person's not even debating, not even showing up for anything. And and you're you're gonna keep telling Americans, you're gonna keep flipping them off in the face and directly insulting them and say, Yeah, you're what you're seeing isn't the truth. At what point does that change everywhere? And people say, you know what, I've had enough. I'm done. Well, this this is okay. So again, here's the problem, right? When you can't prove it. That, that well hang on let me let me finish that that's what <clears throat> that's what causes the problem and they they know that so if you look at the way color revolutions work right that's exactly the point the, it it works because you you are unable to have faith that the system is accurate and uh, that's it that's the entire point of a color revolution that's exactly how they work very true. Inevitably tying this back to Bitcoin, though, and, and wrapping it up, which is this is this are not only the you know the election system, but like you said, the justice system and the financial system, right? So you know the crypto house of cards is built on that, as we know, and the banking system is built on that. So at what point do people realize? Oh, I went to the bank and they paused my withdrawals in essence, right? Because we <laughs> we're ten thousand dollars or more. You can't, you're, you're, you know, you're, whoa, you know, what's going on? Even if I thought a couple thousand, they're looking at you like, did you set an appointment? And it's, no, it's my money. So at what point does that iceberg flip? And everyone's just like, okay, what's going on here? Well, I think it's already flipping. Every single day, people are walking through the door, the one-way door of Bitcoin. The the moment that, that, that people figure it out and they're like, oh, I understand what this is. There's no going back. And the number of people that do that grows every single day day and i would suggest that that inflation causes people to be more aware of it like duress causes people to be more aware of it are there going to be people who never figure it out until it's like you know way down the road and maybe you know sure but smart people critical thinkers are looking around they're assessing their environment like okay well what the hell do i do And Man, more it's people not, come over. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, it's not even critical thinkers, because like what would you said about duress and like people like having a hard time uh in life, like that's what pushes people to to I, I feel like are gonna push people to Bitcoin, like in mass, like everybody's just gonna just like you know, like run towards it because it's the only like refuge. Uh but I think that like yeah, in the in, here in the first world, we're we just only pain. And I was talking to Brady about this. And we both agree um, that like pain is what's going to cause people to want to adopt it. And, and I, I, I feel like that's the way, man. Like we, we still haven't felt this thing in the first world. Hey, I just wanted to say uh, 
that, and I think I've said this before, um, that um, I know a lot of us have given up on Facebook. And um, I mean, for me, yeah, I, I have too, but, but a lot of people haven't. So I post um, information there that they won't hear in regular mainstream media about the economy and the financial systems globally and stuff. Um, and uh, it is having, and I, and I post stuff about Bitcoin as well, but it is having an effect. I had a, a good friend of mine back home in New Zealand. I went to high school with him and he contacted me uh, via messenger just the other day. And I sent him uh, some links, uh, BTC sessions, video tutorials and uh, some connections with some New Zealand Bitcoiners to help them find out what exchanges uh, are the best ones to buy Bitcoin and uh, initial wallets that he should uh, look at um, utilizing until he can get himself comfortable with cold storage. So um, it is it is happening. So I, I, I was kind of, uh, uh, I, I felt um, uh, just satisfied, I guess, in that it, you know, these comments, these little comments that I make on a regular basis are having an impact on on normies that I know. So I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely impact for sure. Thank you for mentioning that. All right, other things uh, we could cover this morning. One thing is, is that there's there's a lot of discussion about um, proof of reserves, like we should have proof of reserves. Personally, I think proof of reserves is a is a nonsensical idea. It doesn't matter if you have proof of reserves if you don't also know what the liabilities are on the other side of the balance sheet. A lot of people don't think about that, but it's kind of pointless to me. Uh, does anybody want to make an argument for why proof of reserves is good and then we can hear the opposite of that? I also think it's bad. I mean, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's pointless. It's like, great. Well, which makes it bad. Yeah, it's pointless. Um, I mean, like you said, the other side, you know, the, the, anyone can point to an address and sign it and say, you know, this is all the Bitcoin I have. But what you can't do, you know, and, and prove is what's the number of all the Bitcoin that you're showing on your customers' accounts, right? That's the part that, like, you just have to trust them. Right. I don't know if there's any way that they can prove that uh, without a doubt. Right. You can have third party auditors and then you have to trust them. So, yeah. And then now you're getting into privacy issues as well. Right. It's a conundrum. What are you going to do? Dox your entire customer base to prove that you have their Bitcoin? Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering if at some point, um, I mean, what would be interesting is if, exchanges figured out a way to give their customers their own set of private keys and siphon or, you know, separate like the Bitcoin the customers have. Maybe you have to reach a threshold, but at a certain point you reach a threshold and then you automatically get your keys. Um, now, again, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if this helps anything to be honest, but I'm just trying to think of ideas here of like how, how it could actually work. Obviously you just want people to, get their own private keys 
themselves and withdraw their Bitcoin, but not everyone's going to do that, right? And I think it takes, a lot of times it takes the customers to get burned before they learn that they have to do that in order to actually hold their Bitcoin safely. Would anybody like to uh, come up either from the audience or um, to frame why proof of uh, reserves is a good idea? I know there was an article from Nick. Does anybody want to summarize it? I don't because I think it's stupid. I think the current generation of individuals that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that lead our financial world need to die off to, to, to enable this thing. I mean, it's just a, people my age and older just don't typically, not always, but typically just don't get it. They keep trying. I try to. I, I still do. I still try to frame things in this this fiat kind of mindset, this virus that has infected me. And it's really, really difficult to get away from. Um, and, and I think that, that the, the leaders, the people who are running this world, um, just like uh, you know, just like the, the the story of the Jews wandering in the desert, the biblical story for forty years. I mean, the reason that that happened was because, you know, if you believe in that thing, but the reason that that happened, I mean, the, the moral of that story is that you have to purge the society of those people that have those lingering kinds of uh, thoughts and ideas that are just counter to freedom. And um, I think that you know. We have lived through this era. I've lived through this era, and our freedoms have been um, slowly but surely taken from us. And Bitcoin um, is the the next generation's ability to take back freedom. Wow, that was deep. Don't disagree either. I mean. Peter, you need to have words with your boy, Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger just needs to fucking die. I mean, no offense or anything, and I'm sure he's got family and people that love him, but I mean, it's not he doesn't have to die. His ideas have to die. I concur, yes. <laughs> that was funny, Peter. Isn't it funny how if you live long enough, you just no longer become a hero? All these heroes fall at some point. Yeah, and, and that sequence is accelerated if you're a Bitcoiner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bloodbath, good morning. Good morning, Alex. Uh, sorry I didn't get to meet you at uh, Pacific Bitcoin, but yeah, it was a great time. Uh, I just wanted to kind of draw a line where people try to create, think that these exchanges are like banks. And, you know, in the U.S., at least banks have to provide uh, information to their regulator and it's a call report. So it's showing both the asset side and the liability. So you can quickly gain visibility into the soundness, the financial stability and soundness of that financial institution. And so proof of reserves I know you're asking for a case for proof of reserves. I don't have one, 
because you're not understanding the full picture. You're just seeing, um, you know, whether it's borrowed assets or, or whatever it is, you're only seeing one side of the equation. And so this is just not sufficient enough for someone to understand the risk of holding their assets at an exchange. Well said. Yes. That's why it's dumb. Okay. Well, I guess we're done with that. <laughs> Nobody can fight for it. Nobody wants to fight for it. Where's Nick Carter when you need him? All right. There we go. Here's an interesting comment from Gensler regarding FTX. This is not like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, Gensler says. There's just a handful of lending platforms and a handful of so-called exchanges, which co-mingle. It's a toxic combination where they take people's money. They borrow against it. It's not much disclosure. And then they trade against their own customers. pretty interesting because the narrative right now is that Gensler, why didn't you do something about this? Why didn't you see this coming? I saw this one, you know, this morning where Gensler met with SBF. It's like, well, you met with the man. You should have seen this coming. And it's like, they, they really want him out of there. I don't know if you can sense it, but the narrative is turning against Gensler hardcore. And it's not like he hasn't tried. He's been saying over and over and over again, there's not going to be a Bitcoin ETF until we have transparency into what these things are doing. He keeps saying that. So he's literally saying, we don't see what they're doing. We need to see what they're doing. We can't see what they're doing. We need to see what they're doing. And then all the VCs are like, no, 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 no. And then the whole thing blows up. And now they want they want to blame it on him. They're like, you should have seen this coming. I think we all knew that there was paper Bitcoin and rehypothecation happening. We just didn't know to what extent. And FTX blowing up kind of is beginning to shine a light on, you know, <laughs> some of these things that are happening. Uh, I mean, FTX, what did they have? Over a billion dollars worth of paper Bitcoin just fucking insane so like <laughs> i mean just imagine yeah, i'm sure there's other exchanges that have paper bitcoin as well and you know like it, you know it's going to take them blowing up um over and over until everyone realizes that you know it's like if you don't have your bitcoin in cold storage or i mean it doesn't have to be in cold storage if you don't have your own private keys then you don't have bitcoin it's simple as that you, what you have is just a number on the screen if it's on an exchange. It's not real Bitcoin. So Can't wait. Oh, sorry. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm pretty much done. It's just, you know, like you just have, take your fucking Bitcoin off the exchange or else you're going to get wrecked. I mean, that's it. And um, it's just a matter of time before you learn your lesson. Isn't there just a direct line of, of this this FTX blow, blow up that goes straight back to Three Arrows Capital and and Luna. I mean, isn't this just dead bodies continuing to to pop up? And aren't we going to continue to see? I mean, this is this this is just the contagion that happens when 
you know, somebody tries to create something out of nothing um, and then loan against it. And, you know, Luna really was, I think, was the start of this. And Three Arrows Capital were the idiots that, uh, you know, didn't do their due diligence, apparently. Terrence, you're laughing at me. Am I? Do I have that wrong? No, no, no. Yeah, because Three Arrows Capital did screw up. But it's been interesting because, like, in the thread, I posted in the nest this definitive ftx thing um there are screenshots of from a deleted account that apparently is suzu from three o's capital calling quite amazing questions about why is you know alameda and ftx why are they raising money if they're allegedly such a successful market maker like shouldn't they be rolling in cash and then he called it a highbrow BitConnect and stuff like that. The thread's very entertaining. So I was laughing because of that. Also, um, Suzu, I think, revealed some information in a tweet. I'll try to find it about how um, I think FTX lied about something. Let me find it. Um, Another comment on FTX, this time coming from Naya Bukele. He goes, FTX is the opposite of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's protocol was created precisely to prevent Ponzi schemes, bank runs, Enrons, WorldComs, Bernie Madoffs, Sam Bankman Freeds, bailouts, and wealth reassignments. That's really how this works. It's gigantic wealth redistribution. Some understand it, some not yet. We're still early president of El Salvador. I would agree. Um, although I would say Bitcoin was made precisely to enable bank runs. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's always going to be people who hold their Bitcoin in exchanges or at banks in the future. But because it's so easy to take self-custody, that's what enables us to force the banks to be you know, truthful about their holdings. Or otherwise, they're going to get wrecked just like FTX. Um, one thing I'm wondering is, you know, are we going to start to see some of these shadier exchanges try to shore up their balance sheets in anticipation of, you know, what's to come, which is us continuing to take custody of our Bitcoin and inevitable, uh, an inevitable supply shock in which, you know, like, <laughs> and if they're, if they're caught with no Bitcoin at that point, um, I mean, they better hope their shit coins pump too, but, you know, either way, if Bitcoin drops a lot or if it goes up a lot, if you don't have the underlying Bitcoin to give to your customers when they when they want to take custody of it, you're going to get fucked. So are we going to see mm. exchanges start to try to, like, buy some Bitcoin now that they realize that they can get fucked if they don't actually have it? Maybe. Maybe. Terrence? I think a lot of them, well... If you think about it, right, so if they're a, a smaller exchange, they're now facing massive withdrawals and fear and people selling and going to cash or blowing up, lines blowing up and not having cash to keep trading. So they're not getting as much revenue. So maybe they are, um, if they see, if they sense, if they know more than they think the market does about the extent of the intertwining between FTX and other 
exchanges and funds and players, then maybe they think um, the contagion will be worse than it is. So maybe they're shorting because there's record amounts. Somebody, there, there's a bunch of people shorting uh, Bitcoin and other coins. Um, so I wonder if they're actually shorting to try to come up with cash to kind of gamble and come up with uh, revenue and cash to shore up their balance sheet and offset to buy, all the, to buy the Bitcoin that they rehypothecate. And sold. <laughs> that too yeah i haven't figured it out but maybe someone who's thought about it on stage or knows of a good tweet storm can help um us dissect my brain's not quite working right now so there was a pretty big size gap for the last couple of days between the futures market where a lot of people do short bitcoin and the spot price and that gap has closed uh, i noticed this morning um, so I'm wondering, yeah, uh, you know, to your point, Terrence, if there's some um, people taking off positions um, where they were trying to uh, short Bitcoin or, you know, on the other hand, are some of these exchanges starting to move out of altcoins and back into Bitcoin that they actually say that they have, you know, are holding on behalf of their customers. And so does that help anything with you know, I know we don't like to talk about price, but does it help anything with the the recovery? Yeah, I think it does. So we had a really long. By the way, a quick shout out to Brady Swenson in the audience. Morning, Brady. Throwing you an invite if you want to come up here. I know you're often doing things, so it's all good either way. So we had this long discussion with the Swan Private Team and Jan Pritzker, who's the uh, CTO of Swan. Because, you know, after the FTX blow up, contagion went crazy in the market. And what ended up happening is, is that a lot of these OTC channels started pulling liquidity. Like, you know, it's because they don't know who's going to blow up next. Everybody's kind of looking at each other going, you blowing up next? Are you blowing up next? Oh, no, you're blowing up next. So because of that, um, they add risk premium in the form of a spread uh, to trades. So our trades for a short period of time reflected that. Some people were like, oh, Swan's gouging people because of, you know, it's like people are trying to buy Bitcoin. Now they're just adding a premium or, or Prime Trust is doing it. That's not what happened. We didn't, they didn't. These channels who have counterparties are looking at each other going, I don't know if you're going to be alive an hour from now. And they're all pulling liquidity. So <clears throat> I guess the reason why I'm saying that, things, by the way, have calmed down significantly since then. Things are almost back to normal, but they still are still higher than they have been for a long time. Because going forward, this conversation about, you know, is there going to be liquidity to meet demand is a pretty important topic, what Wicked brought up. Because, all right, so this other guy texted me the other day and he's like, well, if everybody pulls a Bitcoin off the exchanges, isn't that bad? Isn't that going to cause, you know, spreads to blow out and all that other kind of stuff? And in a way, yeah, but isn't that part of price discovery too? Like, I used to hear this thing in the in when I worked in the gold industry. Well, gold could never be, could never back the monetary system because there's just not enough gold to do that. It's a bullshit, nonsensical argument because <laughs> it's, 
it's not a function of how many ounces of gold there are. It's a function of what is the price per ounce, right? If gold were $10,000 per ounce, sure, you could back a currency with it, maybe 10 or 20%. No problem. Same is true of Bitcoin. It's not like, you know, oh, there's there's not enough Bitcoin on the exchanges. Well, guess what? Every Bitcoin has 100 million Satoshis in it. So, yeah, that's exactly what, what can happen is that it could blow out. The price can absolutely skyrocket. And at some point, it will come back to normal, or the new version of normal, I guess, at a much, much higher price. Yeah, I mean, anyone who you know doesn't know what a spread is technically, it's just the difference between the price that a seller is willing to sell and the price that a buyer is willing to buy. And if the price is running and everyone's saying, well, I'm going to hold my Bitcoin now because I think it's going to be worth a lot more in a minute or five minutes or an hour or a day or a year, <laughs> then there's not going to be very many people willing to sell. So the spread's going to, going to you know, uh, expand until it gets up to the price that you know more sellers come yeah and the more the and the, the larger the buys and the sells you're trying to do the larger that spread's going to expand see some people are like oh well i'm looking at coinbase or whatever and comparing it to the price showing on swan and they're not they're two different prices well that's because the price you're looking at on coinbase is for these tiny little microscopic little fucking trades you do 50 grand or 75 or 100 or a million well, guess what? You are going to eat a much bigger spread. You can prove this. There's a site called data.bitcoinity.org. You can go there. You can actually put in how much Bitcoin you're looking at trading and see how that impacts the spread. There's a huge impact. So, like, it's kind of nonsense. It's really ignorance of how the markets actually function. Go ahead, Rowdy. Morning, guys. Um, Lynn Alden has a great... Uh, take on this and and sort of from a macro point of view and and how this is all shaking out in the broader macro environment she was on um peter mccormick's podcast uh, i think it came out yesterday um and talking about actually how she was they were conducting it during pacific bitcoin which she plugs and was saying she had an awesome time by the way which is i thought was funny but um Anyway, for the rest of us who were there and, and weren't quite keeping up with the news second to second, things were happening so fast. And, and so they discuss it um, really specifically, but she, she about 10 minutes into the podcast, kind of um, draws uh, a bigger picture, tying it to the, you know, how, the, how these things happen in a, in a high liquidity environment and a low liquidity environment. And now that we're in a low liquidity environment, you know, we're seeing kind of the, the Warren Buffett quote you know who's swimming naked or whatever when 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 the money when the uh tide goes in so um for a good primer on that as well as discussing like why market makers would would have a premium on you know a short-term uh directional trade that they're not trying to make they're just trying to make a deal short term but why they would attach a premium they go into a little bit of that too so um anyway it's just really informative i was like like listening to her and uh she has a good take on all this stuff so, thanks. Yeah, it's it's representative of two factors. One is fear, like it, are is my counterparty going to be there? And the other is basically a, a asset risk. On one side of the trade, you've got Bitcoin. The other side of the trade, you've got U.S. dollars. Right? The time sequences for those two things don't always match up. Bitcoin moves really freaking fast, right? 
U.S. dollars do not. <laughs> so that lag creates a problem when you're trying to price risk. Go ahead, Peter. So um, my simplistic view, I, I was wondering if, if this could be corrected, if it's incorrect. My simplistic view is that as, there is, as the selling pressure increases, the OTC desk uh, needs to raise cash to, to pay people who are, who are selling um, uh, Bitcoin. And so if they don't have that cash, they increase the spread because they need to acquire that cash to, to pay out. Is that, is that simplistic view just weights? Is that incorrect? I, I think that's right. But um, there's also the flip side of that when you're, when you're buying, right? So it's, it's a mismatch of, of the speed at which the money moves as part of it. And the other part, as I said, is, is the, the risk of, is my counterparty going to blow up? So on the flip side, when you're buying Bitcoin, you can get somebody to say, yeah, I'll give you X amount of Bitcoin at this price. Now, where's my U.S. dollars? Oh, it'll be here in 48 hours when all these ACHs clear. You see what I'm saying? Bitcoin yeah, is instant yeah, yeah. final no, that, settlement. That makes, yeah, that's the final settlement piece. And you're right, because Bitcoin's final settlement is 10 minutes or you know whatever it is uh, once you get it into the mempool, which has been incredibly busy lately. Thank you, Binance. Wicked. <clears throat> Something you said, um, you know, uh, kind of rang true, Alex. You were saying how... Bitcoin moves incredibly fast and the dollar, you know, does not. And I was thinking, this is exactly why <laughs> get on zero makes sense, right? Now, one thing, just a caveat, when you hear people say get on zero or most people who, you know, are, are part of that crew, <laughs> um, we're not saying like ape into Bitcoin 100% right now. We're saying, you know, over time, as it makes sense for you financially, get on zero, like, like try to get to all Bitcoin and no fiat. And the reason why is because if you hold fiat, it's a losing bet, right? It's a gamble. You're saying, I think that in the short term, Bitcoin could go down in value. And then because I have a little fiat, you know, my, my net worth doesn't take that much of a hit, but it's a losing gamble. It's a losing bet, right? Over time, you're going to lose that bet. Um, you know, holding fiat is going to negatively affect your net worth just statistically over time. You might get lucky, like if you've been holding fiat over the past year, you got lucky, right? The Fed did their thing. You, you, you won that gamble and great, you know, good job. Good, <laughs> good job being lucky, but it's not going to always work out that way. So you know, I mean, this is why I think it is important to strive for being on zero. Yeah, I love I'd like that. to get some thoughts from both Brady and Nico. Brady, do you have anything to add here or any thoughts about this discussion? Hey, good morning, everybody. I just uh, finished listening to yesterday's show, uh, which was amazing, by the way, to listen to. Um, no, I think I think that this, I'll just kind of turn it a little bit and say, you know, and maybe you guys discussed this already, but this is incredibly bullish for Bitcoin in the long run. This is incredibly bullish. This is this could actually, you know, influence the mainstream media and onlookers from the, you know, other industries that are adjacent to finance in general 
and they will uh, see that there actually is a difference between Bitcoin and crypto, right? As if they didn't understand that before, or you know, if they didn't understand that before, which the vast majority didn't. And this is the narrative I think that we need to hit hard as Bitcoiners uh, as much as we can, not just to each other, but more broadly, that Bitcoin is not crypto. And that's uh, we're going to be hitting that message and that narrative hard over the next year. Uh, Corey's already out there doing his mainstream media thing again. It's amazing that we've got someone like Corey, who is completely based and uh, now has the attention and respect of the mainstream media in terms of his opinions about what's going on here. And so the Bitcoin is, is not crypto message is finally going to be heard. Uh, and I think actually regarded this time, given that we've had three Mount Goxes this year um, and how and how big they've been and how many people they've affected, uh, you know, in the, in the legacy industries. Um, so this is our chance. This is incredibly bullish. This is our opportunity to show the world that Bitcoin is the real thing and that everything else is a bunch of grifting bullshit. And uh, so I think I think this is hugely bullish for Bitcoin. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Nico, good morning, man. Good morning, man. Dude, uh, I just want to give up before before uh, I chime in on that. I just want to give a shout out to Pacific Bitcoin. That was the best Bitcoin conference I ever went to. Um, the vibe, it wasn't too big. You just, you just get up to you know some of your favorite Bitcoiners, just had conversations with them. It was absolutely incredible. The vibe, the whole feel, it was just it was just such a great time. So shout out to all the Swan team, Pacific Bitcoin team. You guys did a phenomenal job. That being said, um, yeah, I just want to echo exactly what Brady said. I actually had an interview for an article with CNN, speaking of mainstream media, and it's the same thing. She was like, look, this is terrible for crypto. This is I'm like, look. Crypto is a scam. It's it's Bitcoin. And, and she was perplexed and she's she was thinking that it was like almost the same thing. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. It's it's completely different. And this is going to keep continue. This is going to continue to happen in crypto. Like Bitcoin is where you should be focusing on. Bitcoin is the peaceful revolution. And crypto is just just a distraction. And one of the things that I also liked is that this whole FTX blow up has actually led to a record amount of people finally taking self-custody. People are learning, right? And that makes me incredibly bullish because that's really how you win this thing. People have to take self-custody of their Bitcoin, send it into cold storage, and that's exactly what's happening. And hopefully, you know, more and more people wake up to, and the mainstream consciousness as well, because we all speak, you know, as much as we make a ton of content, we get it out there, but unfortunately, a lot of us are stuck in this echo chamber. But finally, these ideas, hopefully they, they start to penetrate into mainstream consciousness and people start to wake up to the fact that it's Bitcoin, not crypto. Crypto is a scam. You're going to continue to have the rug pulls. You're going to continue to have these things happening because crypto essentially is fiat. It, it really is. Right. You're, so you're going to start to see you're, you're seeing the same things that happened in fiat and you're seeing them in you're seeing them in crypto, man. So. I'm incredibly bullish for the long term. Unfortunately, this is definitely going to give a lot of ammunition to the Bitcoin haters like Elizabeth Warren to try to go after it. But they can try all they want, man. So like like what Brady was saying, uh, this is this is very, very, very bullish for Bitcoin in the long term. And we just have to keep the pressure up and we just have to keep trying to get that message out there 
Bitcoin, not crypto. Hell yeah. Get on the damn mission. Get your Bitcoin off of the exchanges, people. Peter. So, I, I, including Swan. Get your Bitcoin off Swan, all right? We don't want your Bitcoin. <laughs> want yeah, you I posted something in the nest on how to do that. It's easy. <laughs> Swan makes it really easy. Um, I, you know, I totally agree with what Nico and, and Brady were saying. And Alex, I just want to thank you for um, bringing up that piece about because it is it's it's new monetary technology crashing into old monetary technology. And, you know, with the OTC desk and what happened and that just that just completely opened up my uh, my visibility into that world, and I think you, I think you nailed it right there. And I, I appreciate that. I hadn't really thought about that piece. I really appreciate that. You bet, man. That's what we're here for. Uh, shout out to Jake Owen in the audience. I am inviting you up, brother. We'd love to hear your story and your thoughts on Bitcoin. I know you're a Bitcoin advocate, but I've never really heard from you. Why? And I think people would appreciate that. So no pressure, man. You know that. Every time you come in here, every time I see you, I say, hey, Jake Owen is in the audience. And one of these days, he's going to come up here and talk to us, just speaking that into existence. We are going to do some announcements here real quick. And then we'll keep rolling in this same vein because I think it's an important topic. Number one, well, you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you have never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin. It is the place. For your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry to chill and talk about Bitcoin and what's going on. It's a great place to learn. You can't catch a live show. You can catch the podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Throw me or Swan to follow to be notified of when those drop. If you missed the Pacific Bitcoin conference and you've heard all of the amazing stories about how amazing it was and you want to go to the next one, PacificBitcoin2023.com. That's PacificBitcoin2023.com. Early bird tickets are on sale. GA is like half price right now. And so is so is VIP. Like, do it. It's amazing. Hey, Alex. Yes. I'll add real quick. The tickets are fully refundable until July 1st. So no risk. Grab your ticket now. If you end up not being able to make it, uh, you know, in the first half of the year, you realize you're not going to be able to make it in September, you can just uh, get a refund or sell at a higher price. <laughs> One or the other. Brady, I, I, so you guys are doing it in September, not November? Correct. Yeah, it's going to be in the second half of September. We still have to lock down the venue. Uh, we love that venue, as did everybody else. So we've got to get that locked down. Uh, but we originally wanted to do this the last week in September. Uh, this year, but couldn't get the venue locked down. So we did November. So we're going to go back to the original last week of September. Things are uh, weather-wise, it's more reliable. Uh, as as you know, we had like drenched rain Monday and Tuesday, which is very rare in Southern Cali, but can happen uh, much more likely in November. So yeah, last week in September is the goal. Cool. I was, was going to ask when it was going to be. So that's that's cool. That'll actually work out, I think, for me, hopefully. So I might get my uh, my ticket now. Um, in terms of that refund, uh, fully refunded in terms of Bitcoin, right? <laughs> nice try, Wicked. What if I pay in Bitcoin? Then can I get fully refunded in terms of Bitcoin? Like, let's. Uh, let's that's let's actually a good here. question, Brady. Is what do you think? I think that's right. 
I doubt it. You guys are just trying to steal my Bitcoin. <laughs> You've got Swan figured out, dude. I want to go back to what Nico was saying a little while ago about how people are figuring this thing out and they're taking self-custody. Hugely important. So this is Dylan LeClaire. Following the collapse of FTX, we've just experienced the largest week-over-week decline in Bitcoin on exchanges ever. 115,200 Bitcoin were pulled off exchanges in one week. This is bullish to me. Like, yes, it, it causes spreads to potentially blow out, especially if you're trying to buy it. But... Like, when this rocket ship takes off in this next cycle, it is going to be crazy. As Nico and Opti always say, right? Self-custody is the revolution. It kind of is, isn't it? Like, the less Bitcoin they have to screw around with, the less likely they are able to rehypothecate. Right? Go ahead, Wicked. And then Paul. Yeah, so um, this is uh, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is, um, you know, just basically what kind of an effect, a negative effect the exchanges exchanges can have on the price when they hold so much Bitcoin and are in control of, of you know, a decent amount of, of the supply. I think right now they have between um, 11 and 12 percent um, of total supply, right? So that's still a huge amount. And if you look at the percentage at least you know reported by glass nodes so you know take that with a grain of salt but if you look at the percentage <clears throat> of the supply that they had you know at the beginning of the first having uh, second having and then the most recent third having i mean it's drastically different right the first having they had like 0.02 percent right so like they had basically there were you know at that point what mount gox was the only exchange or maybe even mount gox wasn't around at that point but, you know, there just wasn't very much Bitcoin available on the exchanges. And that's probably what led to such a crazy supply shock and price run up that first halving. And then the second halving, you know, it's still pretty small. It's like 5 6% of circulating supply on exchanges at that, at that point. So it's still very small. And then you get, you know, pretty big supply shock. And then this most recent one, you know, it got all the way up to like, I don't know, 15 16%. So it was a huge amount of Bitcoin on exchanges. And I wonder if that had a dampening effect on the supply shock and on you know the run-up, this most recent bull run. And now that we're seeing it go back down, which, by the way, is the first time that's ever happened in Bitcoin's history, uh, an epoch that has a, a, a you know decrease of supply on exchanges. Now that you're seeing it go, go back down, I wonder if that's going to you know basically cause a bigger supply shock this uh, upcoming cycle. We'll see. Hey guys, morning, I just Paul. wanted to. Uh, hey, good morning, Alex. Sorry, I missed uh, Pacific Bitcoin. I wish I could have been there. Looks like you guys had an amazing time. So, congrats. Vloggings. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I wanted to sort of let everybody in the audience who might be a newbie uh, just know that that this experience, if if you were involved in in any of the crypto space, along with being involved in Bitcoin, this experience can be. Uh, an incredibly positive experience for you long-term. Many of us in the space, myself included, uh, when we first discovered Bitcoin, uh, for me, that was back in 2017, 
uh, I, you know, you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and it spits you out into this crypto uh, <sighs> casino where, where to a newbie, you can feel like every project is incredibly exciting. Uh, and it takes an event like this. It takes listening to people like the great folks here at Swan. Uh, for me, it was Tone Vase and, and Jimmy Song. But it, it takes people like that that have been in the space a long time to help educate you as, as to the mistakes and how to get on the right path. And, and if you're here and you're in the audience and you're new, you're on the right path, stick with it, sell the shit coins, buy the Bitcoin, and get ready for the next bull market and you will be well positioned and you will now enjoy the ride. So just a, a word of advice, stay positive and uh, uh, get ready for a bright future. Well said. Thank you for saying that. By the way, this isn't just like, you know, a bunch of Bitcoin maxis doing the cult thing like, oh, hey, Bitcoin's better. We have the empirical data too. Like Sam Callahan who's the head researcher at Swan, he's done some really in-depth research on this. We have reports compiled that shows you the data of all the shit coins that are on the exchanges. Only three of them have ever made new all-time highs measured in Bitcoin. One of those was pumped by Elon, which explains that. The other is the, the mother asshole from which all shit coins spring which explains that i don't even know what the other one is if you want that report shoot me a dm i'll send it to you it's BNB, all the data bnb which is a centralized unregistered security yeah and i think that one came out in the middle of that last bull so it had like a half pump if i'm not mistaken so it was kind of it didn't get its full pump the first time Yep, 100%. And, you know, I mean, now that it's kind of looking like it may have topped out, it's probably never going to break that all-time high ever again. I mean, whenever it does top out and then <laughs> and then inevitably gets sold off pretty hard, right? Because that's what happens to shit coins is they, they inevitably pump. You know, they pump, they top out, and then they, and then they fucking just, in terms of Bitcoin, they just fall off a cliff. Um, and once that happens to BNB, it's never getting back up there. So who knows when that point will be. But if you have BNB, you know, uh, might be a good time to try to swap it for Bitcoin. I mean, that same goes for every shitcoin for that matter, but especially BNB. It's looking pretty fucking toppy. A couple of words to the gold bugs out there. If you're hearing my voice, I used to be one of you. <laughs> if you want to talk about it, like person to person, like, uh, you know, uh, calmly, rationally, I will explain to you all of the reasons that switched my mind. And uh, I'm, you're welcome to attack every aspect of it. I will walk you through all of the logical steps that my, my brain went through to finally figure out that Bitcoin is actually better money. Shoot me a DM. I'm happy to have a private conversation with you. Regardless of whether you buy that Bitcoin through Swan or not, I don't care. I just want you to understand that Bitcoin's going to be, it is the most powerful asymmetric trade for value in the history of mankind ever. And, and if you have 
oppositional defiance disorder and you need somebody to yell at you to get you to see the truth, we can provide those people too. Bitcoin Tina is available by the hour. <laughs> hey, Alex, what if the electricity goes out? What if the internet goes out? What then? Smarty pants. Yeah, that's the most common argument. That was my argument too. Well, what if we have no electricity? Or what if we have no internet? Okay, look. I think about all these things in terms of probabilities, right? What is the percentage chance that we are going to have a thermonuclear war, EMP this entire surface of the earth, and we have no more electricity and no more internet? We're basically cavemen all over again. Is there a chance that could occur? Sure. How big is the chance? It's greater now than it's been in a long time. However, it's still pretty damn small. What is the chance on the flip side of that that technology continues, that the internet continues. Because if you think about how technology works for humans, right? We're always stacking on top of it. You don't go backwards. You might overinvest and then pull back a little bit, but then you build back on the bones, right? I'll give you an example. The dot-com bubble, right? Back in the early 2000s, you guys remember all that. There was a massive amount of misallocation of capital, yet it that misallocation of capital, some might argue some was put in good directions as well, right? There was this company called Global Crossings. What did they do? They laid the fiber between all the continents. That is the internet that we know today. So after that gigantic misallocation of capital and the pullback and all the people that got wrecked, guess what? That infrastructure was still there and it built where we are today. That That is true for every technological advance that uh, humanity has ever seen. The only exception to that is when you completely wipe a society off the surface of the earth. So assuming we don't wipe the society off the surface of the earth, that means to me, we're going to keep building. Might have a little bit of a pullback. Yeah. But I, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't matter. It's always going to be here. Bitcoin exists there are Bitcoin nodes, guys, on satellites in orbit around the Earth. I don't know who's next. Be gentlemen. Uh, just real quick, I, what was funny is that um, when I was like paying for a drink at, um, at the conference, like one of the guys was like, so you're here because of Bitcoin? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And he's like, oh, so what's this? Is this like, like the money of the future and whatnot? It's funny because like a lot of these bartenders were normies, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man. It's like, it's, you know, it's going to, it's empowering. It's, it's, I, I didn't want to talk too much to him, but, and then he says like, oh, but what if the internet goes out? And then I'm like, you know what, man, you're going to be looking for food, water and, and guns. Like, like we're going to have bigger problems if the internet collapses. And uh, that's kind of like what you guys were saying. So it's funny to like interact with normies there. Yeah. I mean, if we're cavemen, you might store some value in gold but you better have a lot of ammo to protect it yep i was just gonna say you're gonna want lead more than gold at that point exactly so, or even iron you need you need you need to make machetes and like axes you know we, we go back to to the dark ages man so to the gold and uh and the new thermonuclear uh war thing uh, your gold's gonna be irradiated no one's gonna want to fucking touch it what are the chances that of the hundreds of thousands of nodes out there, that one ledger is still uh, still survives and can broadcast? 
you know, and that's, you know, man typically rebuilds itself from the ashes, right? When, whenever there has been world, world calamities, um, you know, man rebuilds from the ashes and all we need is one ledger. That's it. And we can, we can rebuild that. And I guess if all the, if, if every single copy is gone, well, you know, uh, as uh, Andreas just said, uh, we've got bigger problems anyways. And the reality is, is that even if the ledger is gone, we still have the code. The code will probably still be available somewhere. And, uh, you know, we can we can start again. That's that's just my opinion. There's got to be someone who's printed a physical copy, right? <laughs> can you imagine? All of our nodes got fucked and then someone's like, hey, I've got it all printed on paper. Trust me, bro. Yeah, the idea that you can actually kill Bitcoin, I think, is it's really just a matter of not studying it. And it's not understanding it. I was there at one point in my life. I, I thought that the government would just shut down Bitcoin anytime the government wanted to. That's the reason I didn't get, in, didn't get involved in it in the early days. I, I knew about Bitcoin in 2011. And my, my thought back then was they're just going to kill this thing anytime they want to. They're just going to shut it off. Why did I think that way? I don't know. Some of you guys might be old enough to remember this thing called Eagled. There's this dude down in Costa Rica. He made like one of the first editions of or the first iterations of online money. What happened to him? Well, they knew who he was. They knew where the servers were. That is called centralized. They, there was a single point of failure. They knew what to attack. So what did they do? They dropped in on him with Blackhawks, seized the servers, arrested the dude. I think he's still in jail. But my mind was like, yeah, they're just going to shut it down. So in 2019, after the ups and downs and ups and downs, I was looking at the charts and I'm thinking this thing is going to run again. And what I couldn't figure out is why is it still here? It bothered me. Why is Bitcoin still here? That's when I went down that rabbit hole doing the research on that. And that's when I came to the conclusion, oh, the reason it's still here is because they can't stop it. That's the people's when you, money. When you have a need or necessity for one or many of the properties of Bitcoin, including a curiosity, you look into it. And when you look into it, you cannot unsee the truth. Brad Mills, good morning. You've been up here for a while and you've been quiet. You have any thoughts, Tad? Am I? He's stage camping. I was just wondering, um, given all those stuff that's happening with like FTX and all the paper Bitcoin that's out there, like how much of like this past bull market was like, you know, like, influenced by that like all the paper trading like was this pump like a real pump or just like a paper pump i mean it, obviously it was real but i'm just like thinking about like the fundamentals like did we go f up too fast just because of because of all all, all that contagion that was happening or, or what do you guys think because i was like thinking about that um and i'm like kind of surprised because the cycle was like unexpected you know like bitcoin has had this like very like you know predictable uh pattern but now it kind of like 
it, it took everybody by surprise, you know, and a lot of these like guru, um, just like price prediction, people got wrecked and, you know, maybe, maybe they, they didn't see what was happening behind all these large exchanges. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, just think of FTX, you know, it's a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin that, you know, had no effect on demand um, because it wasn't actually buying Bitcoin. You know, so that's that's a billion dollars worth of customers depositing uh, their money, buying what they thought was Bitcoin, but then it not actually going out and, and buying the underlying real Bitcoin. So, I mean, and I'm sure that's happened in other you know, instances as well, not just on FTX. So we're talking about billions and billions of dollars worth, most likely of paper Bitcoin that had no, you know, actual effect on demand, right? Yeah, I, I also think that a lot of uh, capital that would have or should have flown into Bitcoin was pulled into these high interest rate markets, um, you know, with the stable coin, uh, uh, interest interest rate trade that all these uh, DeFi projects were hosting. I think I think that did suck a lot of capital because people perceived that they could get 10, 15, 20 percent with little or no risk. Uh, of course they're they're learning their lessons now, but I, I do think that that would have initially been a lot of capital that would have gone to Bitcoin instead. There is I mean there is yield you know potential with market making. Um, but beyond that, all this, you know, casino type activity is is where the risk is and it's posing risks to all kinds of counterparties. So, you know, I do think capital, it's important for the space to get capital. It's just what's done with it. And, you know, we've seen where it's been um, misallocated and not managed in, in terms of risk and you know, all the risks, counterparty risks. And so I think, you know, we do want capital in this space. We, we need it. But um, it's not good when people misuse it. In what world do people think that a 12% return is low risk? I mean, where, where the fuck did that come from? I've been, I've been in, in the, in investing for 40 years and, I've never heard. I mean, it's crazy. It's just, it's just crazy. <clears throat> Peter, like what a, you, oh, I was just going to say. time in the fiat, in the fiat cycle where it's no longer investing. It's gambling. And we've hit that phase. But, but it, that's correct. But when you gamble, you understand that there's a risk, right? I mean, that's, my point, my point is, is how can somebody go into this and say, oh, well, that's a risk no. 12% inv- you know, no. return. When you gamble, you know, some people understand there's a risk, but I think most people put it this way. The, the people who fall, fall for a con, right? Confidence game. That's what is short. You know, con is short for confidence game. The people who fall for the con have one thing in common. You know what that is? They want to or need to believe that it's true. They need it. And so many times, you know, when you see people gambling, they're just trying to swing for the fences because they don't see any other 
viable pathways. That's all it is, man. And like, here's a tip for those of you who don't know. Those gigantic multi-billion dollar casinos that are built in Vegas, they don't pay for themselves. There's a reason they have the money to do that because they're taking yours. You know, one of the most interesting things that I've seen, I know we don't like to talk about price, but one of the most interesting things that I've seen over the last five months is how incredibly stable Bitcoin has been. It has just been, I mean, it's been a rock. It's been just between this, this very small range. And it doesn't matter what is thrown, how many shocks are thrown into, uh, into the marketplace. It just kind of is just hanging out. And um, for me personally, and, and my, you know, I've been acquiring it like mad over the last three months. Uh, and for me personally, it is just, it is a rock in my, in my portfolio. Indeed. I want to welcome up Pete Rizzo. Good morning, man. How are you? What's up, fine folks? You guys all recovered from uh, Pacific Bitcoin? No, we're there. going through withdrawals. Please help. There. <laughs> you weren't here yesterday, Pete, but we had a we basically did two hours straight of people giving their testimonials about how amazing Pacific Bitcoin was. You want to share any thoughts about Pacific Bitcoin? Well, I learned that I'm not uh, really that great at basketball anymore. Uh, so there's there's that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> did you get Did you get stoned? <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you know, a lot of good conversations. Saw a lot of good people. Uh, you know, loves the vibe. I uh, think you know, anytime you get a big big gathering together, it's uh, there's stuff to be learned. So you know, uh, definitely po more positive than the doom scrolling since the FTX decline. So <laughs> fair, fair. We've been talking this morning a great deal about the sort of FTF, FTX, excuse me, debacle and how it is being used to try and paint Bitcoin into the same category as crypto um, and, and sort of the follow-on effects. I mean, also how, how much Bitcoin has been taken off exchanges, how people are figuring it out. We have record levels of Bitcoin coming off the exchanges. And then what does that mean for spreads and volatility moving forward, all these kinds of things. Do you have any thoughts on any of these topics? Well, I'm a big proponent of the Bitcoin and crypto uh, designation. Um, you know, though the fact remains that FTX sold Bitcoin, uh, you know, that really wasn't, um, you know, the business was not built on a Bitcoin standard or, you know, with the intent or ideology of, of Bitcoin in mind. I mean, I, something I've been thinking a lot about, maybe we can dive into is just, you know, I had somebody ask me about, you know, SBF, and this will probably cause you to gasp, but like sort of in the same sentence as Satoshi. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it kind of strikes me that like, you know, these are two like radically different people, right? Like if you, the kind of person that you would have to be to create a Bitcoin versus the kind of person that you'd have to be to create something like FTX. Um, and so, you know, I've kind of been <laughs> thinking about those differences, like kind of thinking about working on a thread about it. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, FTX, FTX and SBF were, uh, you know, an organization that seemed founded on the principles of philanthropy, uh, but then were seemingly willing to do, you know, anything up to and including like massive fraud in order to justify, you know, because this whole thing was the um, effective altruism, right? So, you know, in his mind, he wanted to make 
billions of dollars and it was okay because you know he he told himself he was going to give it away and he was going to give it to the good people and he was going to give it to the right people and you know he was going to make a make an impact on the world uh in order and in order to do that he you know ended up in a situation where he justified you know made off level fraud you know um and that's just very like you 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 couldn't think of anything more antithetical to that than than satoshi uh who chose to create a software in which you know anyone in the world can protect their own money uh, from any other interference, right? And give someone the ultimate sovereignty over those assets, regardless of their conduct as an individual, like regardless of whether he thinks they're good or bad. Um, you know, he was he was building a system that could endow rights to people that were that were fundamental and and his view like inexorable. Uh, yeah, just very different people. <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm not sure. What yeah. Very different. I mean, is it fair to say that one archetype is a giver and the other is a taker? Yeah, hard to say. I mean, I think like the SBF um, tale, you know, talks a lot about like, you know, the, the fiat nature of like regular altruism, you know, or just the idea. Because I think ultimately on some level he was convinced that, you know, he could do good for the right people, right? There was very, you see a lot of this in kind of like the, the larger crypto world, right? There's a lot of... Um, I don't know, like attempts to balance power or, you know, uh, you know, advantage a certain group over another group, right? A lot of these like other crypto protocols are kind of like fundamentally based on this idea, right? That like it's, it's okay to like uh, create conditions under which some people can disadvantage others. Um, and it's just very interesting. Wow. That, Where have we seen a system like that before? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, true, but it's interesting that uh, Satoshi's system, you know, was built, you know, uh, so that so that wasn't possible, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, also like. Um, you know, just the whole nature of the thing, right? Just the, like, you know, I was, I was looking at the Forbes cover of, with him on the cover of the, you know, 400 uh, most influential people, whatever. And, and like the quote on the cover is like, I didn't know anything about crypto. Like when I got in, <laughs> or something like that. you know, it's like, and I was like, Oh geez. Okay. Well that's, you know, that seems like that should have been a red flag, uh, you know, in retrospect, um, you know, that this you person think? was like flagrantly uninterested in the, in the political motivations of this technology. Mind blowing. So yeah, I'm gonna talk back. Pete, I was gonna say I, I I find it interesting your point about you know basically trying to pick winners and losers, and Bitcoin's already doing that um, all over the world, right? You see it adopted in places where people are facing hyperinflation or threats of war or different places. So Bitcoin's already naturally doing that. Yeah, right. Like people, you know, and this kind of goes to the view of Bitcoin as, you know, like a property management system, right? It's being adopted in, in areas where like the property rights or, or people's rights to money are are weaker, right? You're seeing like a more obvious uptick of it, um, you know, and I think that'll just gradually, you know, continue to happen, right? Like people like uh, Bitcoin will outcompete. Weaker money's first in the developed world, you know, we'll still have a lot of trouble understanding Bitcoin, Um you know, for those reasons that I, you know, and again, this whole SBF sort of establishment and the rise of, you know, FTX, like, you know, um, there was an interesting 
thread and like I'm in this kind of like crypto reporters group and you know they're kind of coming to terms with just the the whole FTX thing but you know there was a comment that the mainstream media sort of treats crypto as as sort of like an exotic developing country you know they always sort of send someone there to report the story they don't really you know employ anyone with expertise and in fact they seem like you know they're actively uh you know like you know because I, I think we've seen this I guess in the the crypto journalism sector right like Bloomberg went and hired all these people last year uh, to do their cryptocurrency desk, but they didn't hire anyone from the industry. Like they they actually did not hire anyone with industry's domain expertise, uh, and that's just like really interesting, right? Because uh, you would assume that some of those people, and like we know some of those people went out for those positions, uh, but when having to choose between like staffing their operations with uh, someone who actually like you know had spent any significant time in the industry and someone who had never been in the industry, they would categorically always hire someone who had never been in the industry. Uh, so that seems to think that like they think that it's preferable. They're like so skeptical of anyone who would like en- mentally interface with the industry in any way. Yeah. <laughs> like, As if you're broken, like your brain is broken, right? Like, oh, by the way, when we have Corey Clipston, we're gonna have to warn you that he uh, believes in Bitcoin. Like, you know, before you before you listen to what he has to say, it's hilarious. Well, I mean, that's but that's been the thing for like, I mean, that was the case when I was getting into the industry as well, right? Like, we were the cryptocurrency journalists were or Bitcoin, you know, there wasn't any other cryptocurrencies then, so we were just seen as Bitcoin journalists. But, uh, you know, we were thought of as lesser, right? Or was it, we were we were viewed as viewing something un, unsavory, like you know, we were like almost like porn reporters or something like that, right? We were on the same level. I would, I would imagine. Prediction. I'm gonna make a prediction. At some point. Some major network is going to hire Nat Burnell with a seven-figure contract. Highly possible, but uh, you know, I, I would probably caution you with uh, thinking how soon that would happen. But uh, you know, I, times about you mean by major network. I think. Uh, See, that's that's the that's the trick to making making predictions that that you don't get. Um, yeah, you have to make them like smashed for. <laughs> I, I don't, but I don't put a time on it. It's just open ended. I, right, I say yes. at some point in the future. <laughs> Well, I think you're right. If your timeline is forever, then I think you're I think you're correct. I yeah, hopefully see, that's this will the trick. wake people up, right? I mean, I think Corey's done a great job communicating the media. You know, I've been in some of those conversations as well. But I, I think I'm just more acutely aware of like what the mental hurdle is dealing with like kind of people from that world. Like, I mean, I was on that panel with Jemima Kelly at Bitcoin Amsterdam, you know, and I think oh, wow. uh that's right. Isabella Kaminska and some of those other like uh, reporting veterans, but you know, I, and I led that panel with like a very specific remark, which was you know essentially like you know one of the reasons that it took me so long to get to Bitcoin was that I thought, uh, you know, being a Bitcoin journalist that that required my you know I thought that like objectivity required me to be a non-participant in the Bitcoin economy, and so if you sort of think about that, I, I think that the traditional journalism world still still holds that belief they, they still think that they in order to be objective about cryptocurrency they they, they can't participate they and should I think all until stop they get being over paid that, they should all stop being paid in u.s dollars right now yeah it's hard to say right like the incentive mechanism is is just really deep right they like they they that they're stuck on like a fundamental um question that they've like never really had to ask themselves because you know journalism has sort of always existed like in localities like even the idea that there's like international journalism is like is like pretty recent right like you'd have to go back to like the internet for like even there to be like this idea that there is a global media like media you know really media is the arpanet of the the internet you know it's essentially the the prior thing uh and you know journalism was 
you know, done in localities like the New York Times was, you know, the East Coast. And, you know, you could be really big in your region and maybe people, you know, read you throughout Europe, right, if you worked for the Times of London. But you still worked for the Times of London, right? There is like this, you know, geolocation kind of component towards it. Uh, So I think that, you know, there really hasn't been a substantive dialogue about, you know, how reporting is like funded or incentivized, right? Like when it talks about like fiat currencies, like as a whole, right? Because there's always been a relationship where, you know, journalism is the fourth estate. Uh, Well, it's the fourth estate of whatever country that it's in, you know, (laughs) it's not like the fourth estate of like the whole world. You'd, You'd have to go to like something like WikiLeaks to really get to the you know, the inner workings of what, you know, you would need to kind of like actually do a journalism organization that combats the kind of, you know, multi, multinational state jurisdictions, you know, that we see today. So I don't know if this is too much like journalism theory, but anyway. <laughs> no, I think it's fascinating. Do you, do you see um, mainstream media ever making a comeback? Like, I feel like they're, they're a dying animal right now. I don't know. I feel like the conversation about mainstream media is like so laborious because uh, both it's like one a useful technique to like beat them up for things, and then everybody wants to be happy about Corey being on the New York Times. So like you know, there's kind of like a inherent like uh, somewhat I don't know. <laughs> like everybody wants to have that one both ways. I mean, I think that like mainstream media is obviously still important uh, because we prescribe importance to it, uh, and if it wasn't important, we wouldn't do that. Uh, and you know, I think like the social media culture around critiquing mainstream media is, is kind of like its own, you know, it's about, it's, it's as laborious as the mainstream media thing itself. And that like, you know, in isolation, like neither of those things are very valuable. Um, I still personal like opinion. What's that? <laughs> I said, I still like to do it. I don't think I'll ever get Well, there. you know, it's like the, the Corey thing in the New York times is a good example, right? Like, so if you really didn't care about the New York times, like if nobody in Bitcoin really cared about the New York Times, then we wouldn't feel like it was a big moment that Bitcoin maximalism was profiled in the New York Times. But then obviously it was because mm-hmm. we all cared about that. But uh, it's kind of like a it's like a cultural adoption marker, right? Like you know, you look at the legacy, you look to legacy um, institutions, and what are they doing to determine, you know, how far along Bitcoin is? Like we've been doing it all year, and it's just. To me, it's an, right. it's like a, a one way of measuring how culture is thinking about things. Well, but that's the but, but but then you're just articulating what the value of media is. Like that that's the value of mainstream media. <laughs> like like abstractly, sure. that's the kind of value proposition. Uh, and it's you know if it didn't have that value proposition, you wouldn't you know we wouldn't think it was a big deal. But we do think it's a big deal, and like that's okay. I'm like not saying anything about that. I'm just saying like as a news consumer, then. You know, you have to, like, the fact of the matter, it's like, you have to read things from multiple sources, and you have to get information from multiple places. And, you know, we're sort of just past this idea, I think, that any media outlet, like, can be a source of truth, right? Like, this has kind of been the the shift over the last 20 years, right? Like, it was possible when information was, like, uh, the speed of information was, like, pretty slow, that, like, you know, you, you could be, like, a relative you know, you could guard against information flow, like within a, in a region, and you know, you could maybe do a good job. Uh, it has a bias and a slant, and then you, as a consumer, like have to adapt to that. Uh, which you know, which is fine. You just have to have the mindset that, like, as a consumer, you have to do a little bit more these days. Eat Rizzo in here, being all logical and grown up. <laughs> That's uh, <what> <laughs> 
We got about right. ten minutes left before we start talking. Yeah, to I was Andy's. just hoping that you guys, you know, I was I was gonna try to use my time here to convince you, like, uh, you guys should just keep this going twenty four hours. We need to we need to kill that other NFT. We are. We're working on it. Or whatever. Hell yeah. God, so. You just just let people just let let people up here. I don't know. Can I, can one of you stay up for twenty four hours? Like, how do we how do we incentivize that? <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I got it. I got a real. I've got a job. Job. We got a lot of laps on the team. I mean, like, look. All right. I think you guys. There's like twelve of you guys up here. So we need to take sleeping shifts. Like, I think you know. I'm happy to commit. I can do like three hours. You know, let's let's parcel it out. There's got to be. Can you do two to five a.m.? Brilliant. Uh, well, I'm coming back from West Coast time, so maybe yeah. You know. I'm right. at, uh, you get a you get a spreadsheet. Uh, I'll put together a time. We, let's get some other pick a, pick a two pick a two hours time slot you're willing to commit to every single day. You and, know you uh, can, we'll make that up. happen. Like we'll, we'll we can there. make that we can okay. make this happen with a producer and everything. I'm, you guys I'm are joking. Go. Let's go. Not I, can, I can uh I can get the Bitcoin I can get the Bitcoin, like Bitcoin mag people on it. Like we need to have a mega Bitcoin. This is bigger than us. What are you going to call the space? Caffeine, caffeine bit, ca- caffeinated Bitcoiners, like, but can't be uh, caffeinated. I think it's got to be something like FTX related, but like also what Bitcoin is good. Maybe just like FTX dead Bitcoin good, or you know, <laughs> good. Uh, something, something like really stupid, like just you know, like not. Uh, like on the notes, like really, yeah, yeah, gotcha. But anyway, you put together that spreadsheet. I'll, I'll sign up for a time. This is, you know, it's, it's past due. We gotta get, we gotta fight fire with fire here, guys. I can uh I can contribute some effort to that as far as being part of the early morning um segment. I'm up at six a.m. I will say like I'm yeah I'm I get I get up at four rises. Texas time every day so I can help with that a little bit. Yeah, we gotta we're letting these guys. You guys gonna do the two hour slot before Cafe Bitcoin? <laughs> Five a.m. to seven a.m. Pacific time. Yeah, I'm just saying if you guys get it together, I'm down. Uh, you know, I gotta hop to a meeting right now, but uh, let's let's get it going. Let's keep the fire. Dude, you're speaking my language. I've been saying for a long time we need 24-7 Bitcoin spaces. And we kind of, you know, we're starting to develop that pattern. We do the 7 a.m. to to uh, 9 a.m. slot Pacific. And then, you know, Simply Bitcoin does the next one. And then we've got Toxic Happy Hour doing the next one. And then later on in the evening, you got the autistic crowd doing that. But we should definitely have a full-on... Spaces nonstop. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely willing to help out with like what's going on right now. But as far as like consistently and perpetually, I don't know about that because I got a lot of writing stuff I want to get done personally. You just got to pick a time slot. You got to figure out <clears throat> what's best for you. Speaking of which, um, so this is Cafe Bitcoin season one, right? Ends this year. Next year, we're starting season two. What does that mean for all of you? Well, I've been tossing around the idea of changing the crew up just a little bit and doing it based upon A, who's here all the time, and B, who's contributing and adding value. So I think maybe every season we'll just switch out maybe one or two team members. And uh, I don't know. You guys tell me what you think. You can shoot me DMs or whatever. Give me some feedback if that idea is stupid or not. No, I think it's a cool idea. And that just goes to show you how big a heart, servant heart, Ant has. 
because he's one of our crew members. And I'm like, hey, somebody might take your job next season. He's like, go. <laughs> I would never remove him. I think it's a good idea. I, I don't I don't know why anyone really would think it's a bad idea on the onset. Like you gotta see it in execution and see how it goes. Good morning. Uh, I agree. I think that's a good idea as well. I just wanted to say we are holding down the fort um, from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. We have a, a, sh a show for Nigerians. Um, it's really Africa and the area in um, around it. Um, it's called the Orange Sun. So that's the time slot we've been doing for about four months now. So it's, uh, I think it is important to have a slot through 24-7. Uh, Bitcoin only education content. So if you guys are inclined, you can check us out. Like I said, uh, Mountain Standard Time, it is 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Nigerian Time, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. So it's good to meet you, Alex, in uh, L.A. Good to meet Terrence. Uh, look forward to someday meeting Mike and uh, Ant. And uh, thanks for the time. We'll meet sometime, man. Also, as far as like the scheduling for this chat conversation stuff goes for the spaces, I don't see like any if there's like a one or two hour gap, I don't see that being as necessarily like a, a bad thing, especially for the like the slot from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Um, there's probably very little activity. You can hear the world is a big snark. place. You find the world is a big world. Place. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Magoo is uh, going at uh, the two a.m. to four a.m. That's true. <laughs> Do not want him hosting spaces for the Swan Handle. I. I don't know if you want. That. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Swan. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Just I mean, gotta I, be big. I, I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night, having gone to sleep with a spaces on, and it's still going. Magoo is That's going really hard form. at Yusko last night, Mark Yusko. Felt a bit unfair. He was basically, to me, he was telling, saying that Mark Yusko should have called out BlockFi, even though they're a portfolio company. And you just don't do that. I don't like, I really don't like investors who do that. It's very, it feels very disloyal. There's 8 billion other people who can shit on your portfolio company. Your job as an investor is to, be quiet if you have nothing good to say or say good things. Yeah, it's kind of like it's it's a form of virtue signaling, right? It's like, well, I'm yeah. going to do I'm going to act this certain way and you're not acting this certain way, so you're a bad person. And it's like, come on. This is it's what they're doing against her right now. It's another form of, to me that's just another form of gossip. And that's the reason why I try to stay away from those kind of conversations. Yeah. I mean, BlockFi looks terrible, right? But we'll see what happens in the court of law and evidence and worse facts need to come out. Like, and, if you look at what happened to people like, I'm not saying they, they weren't guilty or anything, but Kevin Spacey, you know, was part of this Me Too uh, thing and he was fired from House of Cards and Persona Non Grata. And then he won in court because I guess the evidence wasn't enough or, or whatever. He had really good lawyers or some combination of the two. It's just very, um, it's a very catty, gossipy vibe. I don't think it's bullshit. That's like when people yes. 
there's nothing wrong with looking at something and trying to figure out if there's something wrong with it. But when you start telling other people, oh, you need to white knight this specific cause, it's like, how about fuck yourself? I'm not down with that. Hey, Alex, I was wondering, so I listen to you guys virtually every morning, and um, so I know you guys' format for the most part, but have you guys ever done like a reading um, of a certain passage from a certain Bitcoin book and then had a discussion thereafter? The reason why I ask is because uh, yesterday we did a reading of Tomer Strolight's book, um, what, Why Bitcoin, and and then we had people discuss it, and then now we're, we're reading one chapter of Thank God for Bitcoin, um, and the reason why I bring it up is because it has invigorated some excellent discussion. And then, of course, it's very educational. Of course, uh, you guys do news and uh, you have your format, so I don't know how you would fit that in. But just uh, a plug for that notion, which is not new. It's just uh, I found it to be pretty invigorating relative to the discussion and the learning that happens thereafter. I really like that idea. I try those <laughs> I literally just showed up to the room. I didn't hear what what article you read from the book because I was coming. I had just been invited on stage. Do you mind re repeating what you what you had read from the book? Yeah, we we basically read from the book um, why Bitcoin why Bitcoin and um, I think you met my partner Phil. He goes by Knees Creations, and uh, so um, it was pretty cool because in reading the book, um, people were able to. Um, well, of course, listen, and then after a discussion happened thereafter, and it was pretty cool. So one of the ones that we discussed was when you liken Bitcoin to a light tower and how Bitcoin is the most stable thing in an unstable world. And so um, the concept of Bitcoin being um, instable was a farce. And uh, like I said, the discussion thereafter was very awesome. So I thought I would just throw the idea out for if you guys are so inclined, you guys do your own thing, of course, but it's just a cool educational way to get discussion and also just to go over the basics, the fundamentals of Bitcoin, because there's still so much flood out there. Yeah, maybe we'll try that someday. I don't know. We have a pretty we have a pretty well-established format that seems to be working for us, so I'm not sure we're going to shift it, but uh, I'm glad to hear you're doing it, and I think... Um, you know, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see lots of different shows with different formats, and they're all good in different ways, and, and that's awesome. I will also point out one other thing. <clears throat> like, when we're, when we're bringing people up on stage, we're trying to bring people up that are going to add something of value to the conversation, something with content, something that's going to teach people something important, if, if at all possible. There are some personalities in Bitcoin Twitter that, they want to get on stage and just cut around and tell jokes and stuff like that. Well, and while that's funny as hell, we're trying not to waste people's time as much as possible. We just want. Okay. So if that's helpful to any of you, if you're wondering, you know, well, I want to get up there and say my thing. And then it's like a stand up comedy routine or something. That's not super helpful to everybody. It may be, it's funny, but it's also wasting everybody's time. So we're not going to do that. Um, we've got Andy Schoonover here of, uh, from crowd health. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Hey bud. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. He's on the crowd health handle. For those of you who are wondering, wondering, Andy Schoonover is the CEO of crowd health. 
And uh, this is a quote. Just like fiat, our healthcare industry is broken. Crowd Health fixes this. Out, opt out of broken healthcare with us, fueled by Bitcoin. I love this idea. I think it's fantastic. Swan has partnered with Crowd Health to um, help facilitate that. Um, so, Andy, yeah, welcome back, man. Tell us what's going on in your life. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I was uh, supposed to be in El Salvador today, but unfortunately plane problems uh kept me in austin <laughs> so for those who are down there i'm i won't be down there unfortunately but john uh who's head of business development will be down there so if you're down there definitely um say hello to, to john yeah man so last time we talked i think it was probably back in summertime right i mean i saw you at big block boom um we were kind of in the middle of integrating with with swan to to hold some of, of your, your, uh, money in, in Bitcoin. Um, and so for, for those of you who have not heard me, me speak, I've been on here a couple of times. So I'll apologize if, uh, if you get the story again, but what, you know, what in essence, what we're doing is, is trying to, um, disrupt healthcare in, in kind of two different ways using Bitcoin. The first way being the fact that insurance companies hold this, a risk pool, um, you know, in a, a big pool of fiat, which, you know, is melting, you know, day by day, what was it? Seven, seven and a half, seven, seven percent inflation or something like that this month. Um, and so the idea here was to say, Hey, what, what if people held, held that in, in Bitcoin? Um, and so we, we started that, we started that a few months ago, integrated with Swan to do that. And now we have, you know, I don't know, thousand plus people who are, uh, who are on our Bitcoin, um, service. So, you know, don't send your money to health insurance plans. Put it in Bitcoin instead. In essence, is what we're saying. The second way is is the the payment structure, and we're we're working on some ways now to figure out how do we facilitate Bitcoin payment within the healthcare space. You know, with an ultimate goal here of saying, hey, we want you know Bitcoin widely adopted within healthcare, and healthcare is a four trillion dollar industry, and if you thought of that in, in terms of, you know, a GDP of a country, it's bigger than every other country except, you know, United States, China, and Japan. So it's a, just a massive, um, ma massive market. And there is no other market in the United States that's more screwed up in terms of payment systems than, than the healthcare space. So we're trying to tackle this from two different angles with, with that kind of pool of capital being the first and the payment system being second. And so we're just out there looking for more Bitcoiners to join us. Um, you know, most recently we've, we've announced that we're, we're putting together a, a medical advisory board of just Bitcoin docs. Um, so if there's a, a Bitcoin doc out there, it doesn't matter what specialty you are. We're just looking for folks to, to come and join us and help us think through how do we, how do we, you know, increase adoption of, of Bitcoin within the healthcare space. So if you're interested in that, yeah, just just DM me either through the Crowd Health handle or or mine uh, directly, which is Schoonover Andy. Um, so those are the big things that are kind of changed since we've uh, we've last talked. Um, just other one other quick, we just the uh, expenses for the community have been just wickedly low. Um, I think it was last month was like we we crowdfunded an average of thirty, I think it was thirty five dollars, thirty seven dollars, something like that um, per member. So, you know, if you're thinking about, uh, you know, making that comparison to your health insurance plan, how many, how much are you spending in health insurance? 
and then you know can compare that to you know thirty five dollars that we used per member to help fund people's uh, health expenses. So it's just ridiculously low, um, and I think it's because you know a lot of these Bitcoiners are just you know y- young and healthy and. We get a lot of active injuries and, and things like that, but that's you know way cheaper than having uh, you know the the long term illnesses and things. So, all that to said, things are going things are going great. And, and thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. So, I think. Oh, well, first of all, let me say that I agree. The healthcare system in the United States of America, in particular, is completely screwed up. The incentives are all wrong. You know, I saw this fascinating chart. Um, on WTF happened in 1971.com. You know, you guys have never seen, been there, go there. Some amazing charts uh, showing the change in society and the change of really everything since 1971. And one of the things that is crazy is that the, the number of administrators in the healthcare system compared to actual doctors has blown out to like ungodly proportions. It's almost 3,500% growth in administrators uh, from since 1971 uh, compared to doc, to actual physicians, which is, which is, it's just this tiny itty bitty little number. Um, so that definitely needs to be fixed. Yeah, if you want to see the charts here, I, I retweeted it on uh, November 3rd. And it looks, the, the chart looks like physicians is growing, you know, with, with kind of population growth, where administrators have grown by, like you said, 3,500%. And the vast majority of that is just dealing with health insurance. Like it's the billing payment structure that we are currently in. So, you know, people wonder why our health insurance is so expensive, it's twice as expensive as the next country. And you can look at that one graph and that pretty much tells you. I mean, we, this is yeah. not a doctor problem. This is, as I've said, this is a, you know, an MBA problem and a JD problem. There's too many you know, business folks and, and attorneys in this space. And If, and not if you docs. think of the, the, patri- the paper pushers and the insurance people as a parasite on the industry, it's like the, the tick is 350 times the size of the dog. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, okay, so really briefly, because I think a lot of people are wondering, I was wondering about this at one time as well. This is kind of how it works. Number one, contribute. As a member, you make a low monthly contribution. Uh, it's basically a $30 subscription, goes to Crowd Health to cover administrative costs. You use the remaining dollars to voluntarily fund Crowd's bills. You could store a portion of that in Bitcoin that's held through Swan or I should say Prime Trust, but we do it through Swan. We did the integration. You go to the doctor, you ask for, you ask for the cash price, you pay the bill, uh, and if, if it's over $500, um, basically you could submit that for a funding request to CrowdHealth, right? You submit your bills, you snap a photo, upload it with the mobile app, you hit submit, uh, and then CrowdHealth facilitates paying the bills. Is that basically how that works? Man, I'm Swan better watch out. I'm going to come come with a, a good offer for you. That was a good sales pitch. Now, the only other um, I'm in sales, bro. It's my job. If if it's if it's uh, you know a big one and it's uh, scheduled, 
then we will actually crowdfund it beforehand. So you don't have to pay, you know, $15,000 or whatever for a knee uh, ACL tear, right? You don't have to, you don't have to front that. We'll, we'll crowdfund that beforehand. And then that will be in your account so that on the day of the service, you can pay that upfront um, to the doc and the doc. And that's one of the reasons why we're getting such great, great pricing is the doc wants that money upfront and not have to worry about it. Um, you know, for getting paid 60, 90, 120 days later, like they do with the health insurance plan. So, you know, again, I tweeted something out, I think it was last week or the week before where it was we're taking a look at all of the bills that we've seen above a thousand, comparing them to health plans, what, you know, United Healthcare's of the world would pay. And we're paying 72% less than what United Healthcare is paying for the exact same procedure. So and you get to store part of that in Bitcoin up to 80, is it like 80% of, the, yeah. of it? Yeah. Well, yeah, 75%. Um, and so to date, we've only used, you know, about 30, a little over 30% of the funds that have been contributed. So if you think about that, then, you know, for every hundred dollars you'll contribute, $70 is still in there. So you get to take all that money with you if you leave. So all that. Bitcoin so in other words, I can up, take my, I can take my Bitcoin if I leave the program. Exactly. And if you put it in Bitcoin at what are we at now today, almost 17,000, 16,5, whatever. Um, and that goes to, you know, 200,000 or 250 or 500, whatever, you know, you think it's going to go to, you get a hundred percent of that upside, right? If an insurance company, if you put your money into an insurance company, the insurance company can invest that and they get all of that upside. You know, in this case, you get all the upside. It's your money. You get to take it with you when you leave, um, just vastly different than the way that that health insurance plans work. All right. So we got about five, six minutes left in, in the show today. Uh, is there anything topics that you want to hit, Andy? And then maybe we can open it up for a couple of questions before we go to wrap. And we'll yeah, give I mean, you a couple of minutes for closing. Sure. Uh, you know, it's open enrollment right now. People are thinking about their health care. You know, I, th I think, you know, health insurance in essence is a shit coin. Um, and I, I do believe that, you know, Bitcoiners are going to be the ones that can change the way that we do healthcare. Um, so I would, I would love for everybody who's listening to consider this. If we can get some scale, um, then we truly can change the way that not only healthcare is delivered, but, you know, a, a wider adoption and use case for, for Bitcoin, which is, I think, what, you know, all of us are, are looking for. So I know sometimes the insurance and just getting it through your work or whatever is, is easier um, it's easier to have cash in my pocket too, but that's melting as we know, as opposed to having the, the treasure, you know, it's like the easy way is, is not always the right way as Bitcoiners know. And so, yeah, this is, you know, it takes a little bit more effort, but I think the upside of this is, is spectacular. Um, and I kind of joke with people, if, the, if Bitcoin does what we all think it's going to do, I don't think many of us are going to have to pay for healthcare again, you know, and that's the mm -hmm. upside of this truly. Um, so I'm just asking people to take a, a hard look at, at what we're what we're up to. And it's we're really on a mission here. This is this is not about zeros. This truly is about like, how do we change the way that that healthcare is delivered? And how do we you know incorporate Bitcoin into wider adoption? It's important that we build these alternative systems. We have to do this. This is not I mean, it's not optional. It has to happen for Bitcoin to work. Uh, Tomer, go ahead. Hey, just one comment that I'd make is uh, there'd be no better group of people to insure than Bitcoiners in healthcare because I've never seen a group more eager to turn away unnecessary medical care. 
uh, unnecessary interventions than this group of people who literally are, are turning away free and even mandated uh, treatment at, at certain points in time. But th this to me is part of the revolution isn't just saying, well, the administrators are the problem or the lawyers are the problem. It's also patients who just think that popping pills and getting prescriptions and getting interventions uh, are the answer to everything. A lot of the time it's take care of your own health rather than have a healthcare taker take care of you. Uh, and I think that's something that I've seen Bitcoiners really open up to. Uh, and I, I've had my eyes opened up to it as well. So it's, it's just the, the fitting of, of all this together makes perfect sense to me. Not to mention that, that Bitcoiners eat meat, lift weights, and and load heaps of scorn upon seed oils. Exactly. Amen. I mean, you're, you are, you're sharing your healthcare expenses with other Bitcoiners. There's a behavioral component of this. I wish we had more time because I could tell you a ton of stories where people could have taken a very, very expensive route, but haven't have decided instead to take the less expensive route, although higher quality route. Um, and that is having a dramatic impact on the cost structure of, of these health bills. So, um, you know, like I said, I have, have stories that I can go on and on. Maybe I'll tweet a couple today so that people can see them because they are just super cool, the decisions that people are making. And we have to have a behavioral change, too. So, you know, we have people here like, look, I'm in a, a group of Bitcoiners. I don't want to screw my fellow Bitcoiner. If you're in an insurance company and sending your money to an insurance company, you're getting screwed by them. So you don't feel as bad trying to extract as much value out of the system as possible, which totally, you know, ends up in a death spiral. So it's a, it's a pretty cool um, group of folks to be a part of. All right. We have a couple of minutes left. We're going to have to go really fast. We've got two more questions. Guys, please be brief. We want to give Andy a, a moment to make some closing comments before we wrap. Terrence. Oh, we lost Terrence. All right. Dr. Needy. Hi. Yeah, so much to say, but i um, very excited about what Andy and um, John are, are doing with Crowd Health. I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, working with you guys. Uh, but yeah, I think Tomer hit it right on the head where it's, it is so multifaceted, the problems, you know, it's not just administration. One of the things administration has done, which you guys all know, is, you know, adding different types of healthcare providers. And although that's great, and I'm talking about PAs and nurse practitioners and RNs and um, things like that, it's, you know, the administrators get to pay them less and that's how they've gotten away with the system. So they increase your premiums, they pay the doctors less. They charge a ridiculous amount for everything, and then they try to hire, you know, ancillary providers so that, and then get away with paying them, you know, a quarter. So, you know, to speak to what Andy was saying, the, the entire system is so flawed. So when we can take it in our own hands, um, physicians included, I'm an internist for 20 years, private practice. I've never worked for any hospital or anybody because I've been, you know, true Bitcoiner mentality where we can just change it on our own. And uh, unless we like sort of take it in our own hands, everyone else is going to control our healthcare for us. Mm -hmm. and, and we have this disease mindset, not a prevention mindset. And that's what we need to be doing is prevention. Well said. Okay. Uh, Andy, a couple of moments to make some closing comments and then we will wrap the show. Yeah. Um, if, if you're interested in taking a look, go to join crowd health dot com um or actually do crowdheldbtc.com and that'll give us your your bitcoin version use bitcoin as your promo code it's uh 99 bucks for the first six months um and you know after four months 75 percent of it will be held in in bitcoin at swan would love for y'all to, to to join us and you know hit me up dm me if you have any questions or or 
thoughts. Um, and like I said, if you're a doc, please DM me because we're, we're trying to put together this advisory board to help us expand um, a wider adoption of Bitcoin and healthcare. So thanks again, you know, Alex and, and team for having me on. Really appreciate it. You bet, man. Thanks for coming. Do appreciate yeah. it. Peter, if you want to go, you got to be super fast. We have like a minute left. I just had one quick question. When you say that the Bitcoin is being held at Swan, does Swan hold the keys Prime or trust. Does Prime Trust? Swan Prime never trust. touches your money, never touches your Bitcoin. Like we can elaborate on that. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. Happy to explain that to you in person. Uh, Andy, great to hang out with you again. That is a wrap. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry to chill, talk about what's going on. It's a great place to learn about Bitcoin. We do this live every day, Monday through Friday, start at 7 a.m. Pacific, roll for two hours uh, on Twitter spaces. If you can't catch the live show, it is also a podcast up on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me or Swan a follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show. My crew, Ant, Shane, Sats for Life, and producer Jacob. Appreciate you guys for everything you do. I am your host, Alex Stanzik. I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. Happy to help. Thanks again to all the speakers who come up here on the regular. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you teaching people about this bright orange future. This is what we call getting on the mission. If you don't really get that, you will. I love all you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day today and crush it.